Hello, hello. Welcome to the Thoughtful Edge podcast. And this is episode number four. And today we are going to talking about hiring. And uh, we will have a conversation with the hiring strategy expert. Uh, this is Viktor Matasev, AVP of Engineering at Global Logic. And um, we will cover everything related to that particular topic. So, Victor, please tell us about yourself, about uh, like your role at Global Logic and about the experience and whatever else you want to share with us. Yeah. Hi, Dmitra. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Victor. Uh, uh, as AVP uh, Engineering and Global Logic, I lead uh, an engineering division. It's more than 400 people globally, engineers, uh, developers, uh, quality engineers, designers, engineering managers, serving more than 20 clients. Some of them are Fortune 500. Uh, uh, and we are doing uh, amazing solutions, software solutions uh, for, for them across multiple industries. Uh, also, based on this experience, uh, I consult uh, founders and uh, CEOs of uh, smaller IT businesses uh, in terms of how to bring their maturity up and also how to scale. Nice, nice. Uh, welcome and glad to have you here as my guest today. And uh, let's dive in then. And I have uh, several questions to ask you today. Cool. Uh, when it comes to the uh, hiring process and uh, like hiring in general, uh, different organizations might have different approaches, might have different... Uh, pipelines may have different uh, views on that. Could you please describe how your organization's hiring process is set up uh, and uh, how does it typically work from start to finish? Well, uh, I would probably start with the fact that we are hiring at scale uh, pretty much as well as everything we do, we do it at scale. Right now, as we speak, uh, we are 30,000 uh, engineers globally. Uh, and uh, we, we are talking about roughly 10,000 hires per year uh, for, 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 for us. Uh, and obviously, we are hiring for very different positions from intern level all the way up to C-level positions for a global corporation. And uh, we, we use... Uh, a multitude of sources, multitude of what we call talent acquisition engines, and also a variety of uh, of uh, processes uh, that are involved uh, on, 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 on every stage. Uh, I personally uh, hire mostly either senior delivery managers, engineering director types, uh, uh, or top... Uh, architect level engineering talent so that's my recent hands-on experience yes nice nice but uh like uh, is there any difference between like hiring the engineering manager director uh comparing to hiring just a usual software engineer and what's the difference is well uh there is and there isn't uh, at the same time right uh, B candidates for both positions are human. 
you need to check for hard skills and soft skills. Uh, um, it's just a matter of numbers, right? Uh, um, we 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 can approach uh, um, we can approach and we do approach hiring pretty much uh, as a marketing funnel, right? Uh, you, you need uh, certain success uh, uh, conversion rate, uh, uh, and you have certain numbers uh, uh, on the entrance of that funnel. Uh, and then when uh, when it goes about like more senior positions, by by definition, uh, uh, a company needs fewer of those, and it usually means that uh, we as hiring managers. Uh, and our partners uh, from recruiters and uh, employer brand marketing can dedicate more time to to, to that process. Uh, uh, And uh, the process itself might get longer. It might get more sophisticated um, uh, in order to select select better because uh, obviously from one side, uh, a great hiring case doesn't guarantee a great performance at the end of the day. From the other side, the cost of mistake is pretty high. With with engineers, it's equally important, but we need to optimize. Uh, we need to apply uh, economy of scale, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, like going through hundreds of interviews, like making the hundreds of interviews. Uh, from my experience here, I totally can uh, like emphasize on that thing that you never know how the candidates will, how the uh, professional will start uh, delivering and performing once hired, uh, disregards of how well he did on the interview. Like it could, it could go either way. Uh, so and we here just uh, like mitigation the mistake that uh, we can make or the probability of that mistake during making this hiring decision. Right. Uh, when when we, when we go into into some massive hiring campaigns, we sometimes basically prioritize uh, onboarding and probation period over the interviewing process. Uh, it's basically shifting the decision right, so so so, so to speak. Uh, so we we are pretty quick in making a decision to hire. We acknowledge the fact that the risk is high that uh, or higher that uh, it might be a mismatch. Uh, but then during usually up to three months of a probation period, that's where the actual decision happens. Uh, and that's where we can pull the trigger. But usually, usually uh, in the vast majority of cases, uh, we, uh, we, we don't part ways with, with candidates. And, and that's, uh, that's actually a mutual process. So uh, it's been a while already um, since the time when we had, so to speak, employer-dominated labor market. So... A candidate on the labor market right now is equally as important as an employer. Uh, so it's uh, it's a dialogue. 
Right, right. No, I definitely like like this approach because, yeah, as I mentioned before, it's very hard to determine the per- future performance of the candidate just from the uh, interview experience. And I know that even some companies, they uh, embrace this approach of having several days of the real work experience for a candidate as a part of the interview. So they actually just invite you for to work with them for like two or three days and then they make a conclusion and make a, uh, a final decision based on their experience working with you and seeing you in action. So this is, uh, this is quite smart move, I would say, and quite smart approach. Uh, but nevertheless, when we are in the hiring process and we are talking to the people, uh, how do you determine which qualities and skills are important for a given role? Like I can imagine that different roles might have uh, different requirements and um, might require us to look for some uh, different attributes, for some different uh, clues and some different particular skills that might be required. Right. Uh, well, in in engineering and specifically in engineering services, where, where I'm coming from, um, ultimately for engineering positions, the hard skills uh, usually are the priority. Uh, uh, and uh, I, I feel me and my colleagues being in managerial roles we are counterbalancing that. So hard skills go first. We usually require deep, hands-on um, engineering experts to, to run those interviews. Sometimes they involve some uh, live coding exercises or maybe test tasks uh, in a homework mode, uh, uh, whatever. Uh, or... Um, working on uh, real life or close to real life challenges uh, that are faced on a particular project or product. Uh, uh, but then when it comes to, uh, to, 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 to my level, uh, I'm, I'm more focused on the, on the soft skills. Uh, and for, for, for each position, uh, I usually have a competency matrix uh, not only in mind, but also document documented on uh, on paper, uh, and I basically uh, chart uh, uh, a piece of paper in front of me uh, in uh, several squares where I mark certain notes in a particular competency. Um, so that's uh, that's how I balance my engineering experts. Uh, they take care of hard skills, I take care of soft skills. But we also overlap a little bit. I check a little bit on the, on the engineering side. They check a little bit on the teamwork side. But uh, that's how we complement each other. Hmm, nice. Yeah, like very collaborative thing here. And that's definitely what uh, the majority of companies do as well. And it's like we at Kinesa do the same, actually. Like we assess the hard skills, we do the coding exercise properly for all of our candidates and then go and assessing the soft skills, how they, how they communicate, how they might fit culturally. By the way, uh, what about the cultural fit? Cultural fit and uh, how you go about assessing a candidate uh, in this kind of area? Are they 
Are there any specific questions or exercise that you use for that? Um, well, it starts usually with, uh, uh, with asking about past experience uh, and not only experience, but rather thoughts in terms of whether it's difficult, whether it's easy, what exactly was the best experience, what exactly was the worst experience. Uh, um, it also helps uh, when, uh, uh, when you give a candidate a certain choice, uh, uh, like whether uh, w- without a bad, uh, a bad option, right? Uh, uh, what is the tendency? What, what are professional tendencies for a candidate? Better to work alone or in the team? Uh, better to work with code or in a scrum meeting? Um, uh, better uh, go and speak publicly and help juniors or better work on a very difficult uh, technical issue that no one's, no one else can do except for you. Uh, and there are no bad options, but then you, you know whether a person is more, so to speak, people-oriented or things-oriented. Uh, and the same goes for, for various cultures, uh, um we internally know which cultures certain position will need to deal with so we specifically ask about experience uh, and about comparison uh who is better at what uh, what was candidate's experience about uh, collaborating with a particular um with a particular culture um what uh, did he or she hear about a particular culture, what he or she thinks about certain stereotypes associated with a particular culture. And such an open-ended discussion uh, without black and white answers uh, usually helps to understand uh, pretty well uh, the position and the competency uh, in various questions, including this multicultural aspect. Hmm. And uh, yeah, and always when we talk about the culture, are there any specific values that you try to identify in the candidates when uh, like you're trying to assess their cultural fit to your company or to that particular position? Uh, right. What, what, what I personally did uh, is I adapted the values of our company uh, gave them my personal interpretation uh, and I'm using them on uh, on interviews. Uh, uh, so pre- pretty much every company uh, has certain official values. Not always uh, they are equally shared between all the employees. Uh, but I decided at the very least uh, we, we will be using them they will stick better if, uh, at least within my division, I am giving them, them my personal uh, definition. And uh, can you give us them, like the sure, sure, definition? sure, sure. Uh, so there are four of them. Uh, number one, in in no particular order. Number one is integrity, which to me is basically honesty. Uh, uh, to me, uh, to, to a manager, it's important that my subordinate uh, is honest with me. 
in good situations, in bad situations, I will, I will hear an honest answer. That's number one. Number two is, uh, is teamwork. Uh, it's not about uh, only about uh, the particular peers within your team. Uh, it's also teamwork with other functions, uh, teamwork with other departments, to a certain extent, teamwork uh, with the client, uh, teamwork with the management, teamwork with the subordinates. Uh, so it's more of a people uh, people aspect of, of the work. The third one is openness, which is which is transparency, um, which is so- somewhat correlates to integrity, but it's being being open and approachable. Uh, throughout uh, uh, our vertical hierarchy. Uh, um, and the last one is innovation. And it's not only in a particular technical sense, it's rather, to me, even more important in a day-to-day sense from the perspective of the work work process. What else can I do differently? What improvement suggestions can I make? Make? Uh, what what feedback, what constructive feedback can I give to my peers, uh, to other departments, to my manager, etc. So those four values and those interpretations, to me, give a pretty comprehensive uh, value-based uh, profile, I, I, I would say. Nice, nice. Yeah, like if uh, if you strive for your organization to be aligned with those values, and then you'll be able to identify those values in your candidate. Like that, that like is definitely will mitigate the potential hiring mistake, and then will ensure that everyone we are bringing into the teams uh, will be like behaving accordingly and. Uh, uh, the team will accept this person as well very well, and uh, like everything will go on the successful path. Keeping, keeping our fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's like as I mentioned, it's all about just mitigation the chance of this hiring mistake. But uh, there is no way we can uh, like avoid that at all. Like the, there are cases that we will need to deal with later on. Okay, how do you ensure that the hiring process is fair and unbiased? Because, like, you know, different people might behave, like, differently. From from which perspective? From from employer or employee? No, like, if how to ensure that we evaluate everyone the same way? That we don't, that we don't, like... uh, let our like emotion to drive our decisions here um well maybe uh i voice uh, an unpopular point of view but uh, to me in any person-to-person collaboration interaction it's arguably impossible to eliminate uh, subjectivity uh, and to me it's it's part of the game people are hiring people uh, it's uh, uh, a, a particular match 
between team members, between uh, uh, an employee and uh, manager is important. It's not everything, but uh, it's a significant portion of further success. So uh, I see no no issue in uh, in, in certain subjectivity uh, and uh, in situations where, let's say, my subordinate manager uh, comes to me and says, "Hey, I, I don't feel like I am uh, I, I will work good with such a candidate. Like it looks like his hard skills are good." But my gut feeling tells me I, I would not work well with him. I couldn't explain it. I can get that. And more likely than not, I will trust my subordinate manager to do this hiring decision. I would not overpower that. But other than that, um, in order to assure like a fair fair play field, uh, uh, we make that through, through, through processes. Uh, we apply um, the same competency matrices to, 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 to all the candidates within a certain role. Uh, we usually apply multiple interviewers. We, we have so-called trusted interviewer pool, uh, within, uh, especially within particular technologies. Uh, um, so, uh, and they are well aligned and they have... Uh, thousands and thousands interviews under their belt. Uh, uh, so they approach each candidate in a pretty scientific manner for, 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 for those uh, um, respected, trusted interviewers uh, who do it all the time. Um, certain percentage of their workload uh, is uh, interviewing people. Um, uh, the personality doesn't matter that much to, 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 to them. So it's more more objective, I would say. But, but I wouldn't eliminate uh, subjectivity even in that scenario. Yeah, I see. Now that makes sense. Like having structure and having the same process and having probably the same set of questions asked for all candidates can definitely mitigate this bias somehow and... Uh, I will reassure that we are like not missing uh, some good talent because of like our some bias or uh, our some uh, uh, judgment that was not like well, very well thought out. So anyway, yeah, following the same process and uh, it is what everyone is suggesting: following the same, asking the same set of questions. And there is, I even said, I even uh, seen a study which showed that. Uh, uh like they actually had two groups of interviewers one group of interviews they were interviewing people following the same process and the same structure and like asking probably the same set of questions for all of the people and another group of interviewers they were just uh conducting the interviews uh like the way they prefer every time differently they would ask different questions, like they would like will try to uh, understand whether they like this person or they have common interests or whatever. Uh, and the outcomes were surprising that uh, that group that we are interviewing people based on the uh, some common structure and the common set of questions ultimately hired more people that were successful in their like jobs going on after that. 
Uh, okay, one more tricky question for you. <laughs> How do you handle situation where there are multiple strong candidates for a given role? Uh, which factors will you consider when making a final decision? Um, good, good, good question. Uh, so um, let's assume that I, I really need to select one, which is not always the case, and I will address that later. Um, usually that's where those competency matrices help. Uh, basically what I'm doing and many of my colleagues are doing uh, after each uh, interview we fill in or actually during each interview we fill in uh, all the same lines uh, in the same spreadsheet uh, where uh, each, each candidate is basically a column uh, and each line is a competency. Uh, and when it uh, gets close and it's uh, two or more strong candidates, that's where um, uh, a small details matter, a particular uh, marks in particular competencies might make, make the difference. Uh, um, and also, uh, I don't have a competency... Uh, which is called I like a person, but I do have a, comp a competency usually in my interviews, which I call energy and motivation. And that's probably the most subjective one. When I, when I like the energy, when I like the motivation of a person, both uh, what he or she talks about when it comes to motivation and energy questions, but also how they are doing that. So... That, that might also be a factor. But usually, um, one of the advantages of a bigger organization, we find ways to, uh, to, so to speak, utilize great candidates if we have more than we expected. Uh, so I have my peers. Uh, I can uh, seek for additional budget to... Uh, to hire more than I initially expected because uh, we appreciate how how tough labor market is lately uh, and how difficult it is uh, uh, to find great great candidates so we we might look at it as a upfront investment so to speak mm -hmm. interesting so uh, you mentioned this competency matrix for several times. Uh, could you please mention some other competencies that are in that that are in that matrix? Like one of them is energy and right. anything else. Any other right. examples? There, there are usually up to a dozen uh, for me, up to a dozen competencies. So, uh, um, and a, a typical profile for me is a delivery manager or engineering manager, a position which is on on the intersection of technology, uh, team management processes, uh, and clients. And that's, by the way, already four or five uh, competencies that I already mentioned that are present in that matrix. And then there are some additional um, points like communication, uh, uh, 
since uh, my, the majority of my team members are from uh, Eastern and Central Europe and uh, English is not uh, a native language for them, but the vast majority of our clients are English speaking. Uh, and pre- we we are internally English speaking as like an equalizer between between cultures. So obviously English is a part, is an important part of communication, but it's not uh, all to communication. Um, then uh, it's also uh, experience with contracts uh, and uh, financials, uh, financial side of delivery. Uh, and then... Uh, it might also be um, collaboration with uh, with support functions, uh, like whether or not a candidate had experience with legal and finance uh, and procurement and vendor management, etc. So uh, depending on a particular position, depending on a particular scope, it might vary, but uh, some of them are pretty pretty permanent. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the good examples. And um, when we when we are moving further in this hiring process, and let's say we already made this hiring decision, and uh, there is a onboarding ahead of us and uh, training for new hires. Uh, how you, how do you approach this? How does this process typically looks like? Yeah. Uh... I personally like a concept of mentorship for newcomers. Uh, and it doesn't matter whether it's a junior level or C-level position. Uh, I believe every every newcomer deserves uh, a mentor to guide them through onboarding. And uh, an ideal candidate for this mentoring position is a reporting manager, and usually it is a hiring manager. So in the vast majority of cases, I am uh, a mentor for my uh, new hires, even though my typical hire is an engineering director with 10 plus years of experience in industry, with technical background, with managerial background, uh, uh, my message to them is that, okay, now we are done with the hiring process. We are into a probation period or as an onboarding period, somewhere in between one to three months, depending on the plan. Uh, let's forget whatever is written in your resume. Um, let's forget whatever is assumed from your background. Uh, Let's start from from the ground up, right? Uh, uh, from now on, you are uh, you are expected to ask whatever dumb questions you need to ask, and you can ask them twice or three times. Uh, it it doesn't matter. So uh, I I I would hate that you the situation when when you are afraid to ask questions. Uh, because you think that you are assumed to know that based on your prior experience, and then at the end of the day, it will make you less um, efficient in your job. Um, so from one hand, we have an um, onboarding plan when, at least in the high-level terms, all the areas of responsibilities, all the processes 
uh, all the various aspects uh, of job uh, are listed. From the other side, we have an iterative process uh, based on questions and answers. And uh, we meet usually like three times a week uh, for a status update and Q&A sessions. Uh, uh, and that's where, where, where the mentoring is happening. So uh, at the end of the day, uh, I would say it's a pretty significant amount of time, of my time. Uh, but it's a worthwhile investment because, as I said at the very beginning, uh, there is always a chance that the probation period won't be successful. Um, uh, usually, it's a very low percentage in my experience, but still, uh, at the very least, I want to be 100% sure that I was there for this person. I provided all the possible knowledge and experience and support from my side. And if and when I need to make a decision to terminate such a person, um, then I I don't have uh, bad feelings that I didn't do anything because uh, this intensity of, a, um, of an onboarding uh, usually helps me to, to feel comfortable. And at the end of the day, it, 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 in 95 plus percent of cases, it ends up not only in a successful onboarding, but in a successful uh, working together for many years to come. Uh, because uh, I, I believe that any employee during the first weeks of their employment are it's the best period uh, for um, forming a bond with an organization and uh, uh, an important part of that forming a bond with a reporting manager with with me in this case and and vice versa so it works both ways so that's how I approach it yeah yeah absolutely the first several weeks or a month is just a perfect time to ask all the questions you have uh maybe ask them several times because i also i i've also seen the situation when someone is coming into the organization like and don't ask anything and uh in this case i would assume either he's not motivated like to do anything and that's why he's not asking. Either he's scared and uh, also is not like doing anything, or uh, whatever else might be a reason. I cannot even come up with anything else. <laughs> so if you're motivated, if you're curious, you'll definitely come in and will start like bothering everybody around you, like oh, how you did, how did you do that? How that part works? How this thing is organized? How that is set up? Uh, Okay, okay. Okay, so we are uh, coming to the end of the interview. However, there is one more interesting question I wanted to ask you. You mentioned that you're also doing the consultancy work for some smaller companies uh, on the market. And uh, is there any difference how they approach the hiring process? And uh, when they come to you, uh, do they ask you about the hiring as well? Like how it's better to do that and what is their focus there? Well, they 
they usually don't ask about the hiring process or they don't associate their challenges with uh, the hiring process. Usually those who come to me for an advice or for a consultancy, um, they are more focused on scaling, on growing, on getting uh, more new business. Uh, But then when we started talking to them, in many cases, we realized that the, uh, um, the organization structure is a bottleneck for, for the growth. Uh, and usually too much uh, is dependent on a founder or a CEO and maybe a couple of more people themselves other than the rest of the team. Uh, and it, it ends up one of the first steps uh, that we work on is transformation and growing the maturity of uh, of their uh, of their structure. And uh, um, from one side, uh, uh, we are building a vision of what a structure of a company capable to scale would look like, let's say, in a year. From the other side, uh, there is a process to acknowledge what the current state is. Who are the key people on the key roles? Uh, what is their opinion uh, uh, on the situation and the, on the path forward? Uh, uh, so we run uh, what I would call a stakeholder interviews uh, w- w- with them. And then together with the founder or uh, CEO of the company, we form this future state structure. We map existing people to certain roles uh, uh, whenever it's possible. Uh, And then only as a last uh, piece of this puzzle, for some of the roles, we define uh, the job description and we define, again, the competency matrices. And then we go to the market. And that's where I can also help uh, um, uh, act as an expert, uh, as an interviewer for hiring certain key roles. So that's how it works with smaller smaller businesses. Nice, nice. Yeah, okay. But whatever business, I believe everyone will still have several similar challenges, I would say, similar like problems right. while going through even, the Even more, more so, the smaller the company is uh, usually... Uh, the more difficult it is for them to attract uh, great talent. So it uh, adds up to a question of why why should I join them, the candidate asks. Uh, uh, and that's not a, a, an easy question. It uh, It's very close to the core of the business itself. It's very close to the question why the business exists. Uh, why are they different? Uh, so that's... That's very important for smaller businesses to to understand for themselves the answer to that question. Yeah, yeah. When the brand of the company is not well known and people just don't don't know what they do and what's uh, their priority, what are their values, what are their businesses, yeah, it's difficult to make this decision. Okay, Victor. Thank you for coming to me today. It was a quite interesting discussion and uh, uh, was pretty excitful and uh, insightful and pretty exciting. Excited to hear all of your 
thoughts and ideas about the hiring. Is there anything? Is there anything else you wanted to share with our listeners at the end? Well, first of all, thanks for having me here. It was indeed uh, a great discussion. Uh, um, what could I share with the audience is that uh, IT labor market, both from the employer side and from the candidate side, is a great place to be right now. It's as dynamic as ever, despite all the cha- challenges to the economy that we are facing right now. It's still a very vibrant place. And no matter in which position you are, uh, um, it's dynamic, which means it's very much alive. So uh, great, great to be here uh, together with Dmitra and together with all of you who is listening. Okay, okay. Thank you, Victor. This optimistic note. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>